Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4 today. This is the end of the series that we've been doing this summer on the book of Colossians. We've seen some great things here about how we are new in Christ and then what that means in the way that we should live. New minds, new attitudes, new thoughts, new, new uh, words from our, our tongues, new clothes, all of these things. And now we come to that, <clears throat> how is it, the minister, what the ministers dread, okay? Closing remarks, closing remarks. And, and as, as a, somebody who preaches on a regular basis, I look at this and go, what do you do with this? What do you do with this kind of stuff? Now, now this is not unfamiliar with Paul. At the end of Romans 16, he takes a big, long section and goes, and I want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and mentions on and on and on. If you remember, oh, it was about eight years ago, I know you, just on the tip of your tongue there, when we started our, our series on Matthew, and you start in Matthew chapter 1, and what's in Matthew chapter 1? And so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so and it's on and on and on, it's all that begetting. Right? If you turn to uh, Chronicles, you see chapters and chapters of genealogies that go on and on and on. That's why we haven't gone through Chronicles yet. That's one of the reasons. And then a Nehemiah. When Nehemiah is, is there redoing the wall, he lists every family and a genealogy about who is working on the wall. Now, why do they do that? Well, obviously, it is scriptural, it is inspired, and it is meant for us. So today, as we look at these closing remarks from Paul, we're going to pull out four individuals that he reminds us of or speaks to because of their partnership and ministry with him. And I want to see if we can find ourselves in three of these individuals. If you find yourself in the fourth individual, um, you make an appointment with me this week, okay? Because you're in trouble. Let's stand and I'll read the last section of the book of Colossians. Lord, grant us understanding today that we might read your word, that we might hear it, and that you would fill us with it, that we would live in accordance with it and be reminded of your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Just a note about the last verse there. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. It was uh, Paul's practice, as we've come to conclude, that he would dictate things to his secretary, and he, the secretary would write it out. And then Paul was usually, usually known for taking these last... Um, greetings and current things and writing them in his own hand so that when the letter arrived, the the handwriting would be different from the first section to this last section. Paul just reminds us, kind of an affirming that this is from me, check my handwriting, that I greet you in my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. he'll He'll hear more about that in just a moment. So I want us to try to find ourselves, hopefully in the first three, not in the last one, but in the first three. Um... Paul is giving us a, a uh, let me think, almost like a family portrait or a family picture. You all go to a family reunion and there you are, are and you have a picture of everybody, all the cousins and the nieces and the nephews and everybody gets in the picture. And that's what kind of what Paul is doing here. He's giving us a snapshot or a family picture of all the people who have been helping him in the ministry while he has been in prison in Rome. Now, helpers in the ministry are crucial um, in the sense of mentoring. Paul is mentoring these men in order to mature them in the things of Christ. It is not uncommon throughout Scripture to see people come alongside those who are in ministry, come alongside and help. Uh, Exodus 17, Amalek, who was a descendant of Esau, came alongside Israel in one of their battles. In Numbers uh, chapter 11, Moses, who is just swamped with work and swamped with care for the people, uh, his father-in-law comes to him and says, why don't you get some godly people and help you? So Moses appoints basically elders. In Proverbs chapter 27, we see the verse that iron sharpens iron, that we are to work on one another, come alongside one another, and be sharpened for the things of the kingdom. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one as we go in ministry. Uh, Throughout scripture do two men walk together unless by agreement, unless they are going forward in the work of the Lord. So during his imprisonment, Paul has helpers with him. Now this is about 60 AD where this is his first imprisonment in Rome. And it's it's a little bit different in this time than it was in, in, in our time. Uh, you might go and have uh, uh, see someone who, who is in prison. To go and see someone in prison and to be associated with them at this point was um, a social blunder, let's say. 
you might be so closely associated with them because you come and see them, you provide meals for them, clothing, that if uh, Paul were to suddenly really fall out of favor, all of his cohorts, all of his associates might also be rounded up and thrown into prison as well. So to become this close with a prisoner meant you were willing to put it out on the line there and willing to sacrifice. You counted the cost. It might be of your own freedom, but yet the things of the gospel were more important. So let's meet, as I said, three that we want to be like or or might find ourselves in and one that we hopefully do not find ourselves like. First verse, verse 7. The man named Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord. Uh, As I said, I'm only going to pick four out of this whole list of people here. So the first time that we meet him is in Acts chapter 20. And this is... um, where Paul is in Ephesus, and he's kind of winding down his his third missionary journey. And Paul has been out collecting money in the Gentile churches to give to the church in Jerusalem that was made mostly of Jewish converts because they were struggling under persecution, under financial burden. Um, if, If you were... A Christian and and Christians were out of favor. It was not uncommon that you would lose your job and your way of life. So the church was filled with a lot of people who had no means to sustain themselves. So believers were giving money and giving of themselves to these people. And the Gentile churches, which were out uh, outside of Jerusalem, obviously, they were looked with at with a little scant eye uh, by the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was the mother church. This was where the Holy Spirit had come. And those Jewish converts in Jerusalem were not all that certain about the Gentile converts out in these churches. So Paul was making the rounds and he was talking about their need. And these people were giving beyond compare. And he was going to take that and give it to the people at the church at Jerusalem. Now, not only did he give material things. But as he went around to these churches, he also collected some of the leadership within those churches, some of the elders, and were bringing them back to Jerusalem so that they could give testimony to the work of the Spirit in the Gentile churches, so that the church in Jerusalem would have a lot more confidence in them. One of those individuals that he takes from Uh, the church and brings to Jerusalem is named Tychicus. Now he gives us an understanding a little bit about Tychicus's heart. It would be as if um, someone came to you and you were an elder and they said, I want you to come with me to the church in California. I want you to give up your life here. I want you to give up your work. Take an extended break and come with me to California so that I can show the believers out there that there are good believers in Alabama. And, And you would say, Sure, I'll leave my family, my work, everything behind, and I'll go with you for an unknown period of time. Because although it may not have been that far to travel, travel was iffy at those days, as we know. So this speaks to Tychicus's heart, that he was willing to leave all that he had and follow Paul in ministry as he went to Rome. We also see later, this is about 60 AD, I said, in about 64, 65, Paul goes to his second imprisonment in Rome, and we find Tychicus with him there as well. So he has stuck with Paul, and he writes a letter at the end of Titus. He writes to Titus, and he says, Titus, I need you to come to me. I need you to come and visit me. I need to to be encouraged by you. 
And I know you've got a church there at, um, at, at Crete, and, and uh, but I'm going to send a replacement for you so that you can come and he can come and fill in for you. And his name is Tychicus. Okay, so this man had obviously grown in the things of faith and really matured. And Paul says, you know, as we'll see here in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I've sent Tychicus for you. Come quickly. Come quickly. He says, come before winter. Uh, let's give one more turn. If you're in Colossians, turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. The last couple verses in Ephesians chapter 6. And Tychicus's job is to be an encourager, to tell people about what Paul is doing and to encourage them. And Paul is sending him basically as an extension of his own ministry. He has such faith and trust in him that he is sending him out with these three books, the book of Philemon, the book of Colossians, and the book of Ephesus, to deliver them to one Philemon and then the two churches in Colossae and Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. So this is someone who has been with Paul. He has perhaps seen him grow up in the Lord. He has come to Rome and ministered to him, been associated with him in his imprisonment both times. And he's sending him out now to be an extension. I've sent you for this purpose, that he may comfort you, may encourage you in the things of the Lord. And not only that, back in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Tychicus is a faithful servant and a fellow bondservant in the Lord. These are two different words. Uh, one means he is a servant. Tychicus is a servant of Paul, but he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sold, in a sense, into slavery for Christ. But we know that to be a slave of Christ is really to find freedom. You're not free until you're a slave of Christ. So here is the first individual I want to look at, the fact of his willingness to do ministry, his encouragement. The things that came from his mouth were to build up and were to further the work of Christ. Now, do you find yourself, do you have a servant's heart like Tychicus? Well, let's look at the other two. uh, Verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, I've sent him to you to encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Now, Onesimus is a man with a sinful past. A man with a sinful past. Now, a lot of us can associate with Onesimus because we came to Christ, not maybe not as a child, but perhaps later in life. And there's a lot of sinfulness in our past, a lot of things that we, we would have done without, but yet the Lord placed us there and let us go through those things that he might use those to shape our hearts to bring us to the point where our eyes were open to the things of Christ. And it's great to know that you can have a sinful past and still be used for the things of Christ. Now, how is this possible? Well, it's possible because the grace of Christ is so good, because the power to change a life is so complete and so total. And that power only comes through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Now, We looked at this before, but let me remind you. Where are the great monuments 
Where are the great gatherings of people once, twice, three times a week? Where are the great hymns? Where are the great gatherings of people who sing praises to the fact that they have come to the conclusion that there is no God, that they are atheists? And because they have come to that conclusion, they get together and they just sing great songs and great hymns. And, you know, they have testimony time where they come forward at these fantastic meetings and tell how they have been delivered from all of this bondage and all of these things by the power of understanding that there is no God. Do they get together at all and do those things? No. Where do those things happen? In the church. Why? Because there's power here. There's no power in suddenly coming to this great conclusion. There's no God. There's only hell there. The power belongs to those who come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we can be cleansed of our sin. There you get the testimonies. There you get the long lines of people who say, let me tell you what my, what my life used to be like. Let me tell you about the bondage of sin that I was in. Let me tell you to the things that God has delivered me from. See, those things happen only in church because this is where the power is. Well, Onesimus was one of those guys who had been involved in things that he shouldn't have. He was the runaway slave. If you remember, Philemon was his owner. And Onesimus ran away, went off to Rome to try to disappear in the crowd, and providentially came into a relationship with Paul. And Paul led him to Christ. And the word Onesimus means useless. Means useless. And Paul writes to Philemon, he says, formerly he was useless, now he has become very useful. See, Onesimus is one of those people whose life was changed in in one of those big moments where the lightning goes off and, and, you know, you're, you're, wow, the Lord zaps you. And now his whole life was different. And he is now being used for the things of Christ. In fact, Paul loves this guy so much. He says, I'm sending you my very heart. When I send Onesimus back to you, I'm sending him as my very heart. And he tells Philemon, now, he ran away from you as a slave, but he comes back as a brother in Christ. And he reminds Philemon, he says, now, you owe me because I shared Christ with you. Basically, that's what Paul is saying. He says, so why don't you turn Onesimus loose and send him back to me, that he might be useful for the gospel? See, here we have an individual that society may have tossed out, but yet the power of the Lord comes upon him. His life is changed. Now he is useful for the things of the gospel. So, do you find yourself in a servant's heart? Do you find yourself in Onesimus' shoes? That the past is the past, and the Lord does not remember those things? But because of his grace, now we can be useful for the Lord. One other individual that I want to check out here in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Uh, If you like, turn with me to Acts 13. Let's find out a little bit about Mark, also known as John Mark. Acts 13, verse 5. Mark is the man with a second chance. The man with a second chance. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5. 
we see that Mark is part of the ministry. He is an integral part, and things are going well. Verse 5, And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. That is John Mark. Okay. Now, things are going well. The ministry is going great. Uh, and, and Mark is an integral part of this ministry, and he is with Paul at this time. Now, verse 13 of that same chapter. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. See, they were on the road, and they were going to the next place, which was going to be a very dangerous journey. It was going to go through some mountains and some hills, and that's where the thieves were, and odds are they were going to run into some big trouble. And Mark saw that and said, you know what? I don't think I'm cut out for mission work. I don't think I'm cut out for mission work. I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going back where it is safe. And a little bit later, in the 15th chapter, they're going on the second missionary journey. And let's turn over to there, just a couple pages. Verse 37. And Barnabas, who, remember, Mark and and Barnabas are cousins, verse 37. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So basically, Paul is saying, Barnabas is saying, come on, let's take my cousin. We'll take Mark. And, And Paul is saying, are you kidding me? Do you remember what he did to us? He left, he hit the road. He couldn't take it. And you want to take him back into the mission field? Well, this is when they had the split. And Paul went with Silas, Barnabas and Mark went the other way. And something happened in the ensuing years. Obviously, something had come upon Mark and he had gotten it together and demonstrated his conviction and and commitment to the things of the Lord. By this time, in 60 A.D., Paul is writing, I'm sending Mark, and remember him and welcome him. So Mark is the man of second chances. The first time he went into ministry, when things got tough, he hit the road and couldn't take it. But by now, he has matured and grown in things of the Lord, and he is ready for these great challenges. So Paul says, remember him. He was a washout. Now he's a good guy. So where do you find yourself? The servant's heart? The sinful past that has been forgotten and now the Lord is using you in ministry? Perhaps you were involved in some ministry and just just had a terrible experience. Maybe you just didn't do well. You didn't think you were cut out for it. But now the Lord has, has worked in your life and you're ready to have at it again. I hope you can find at least some portion of yourself in those three. Because this last one you don't want to have anything to do with. Look at verse 14 of Colossians chapter 4. Now, Luke, the beloved physician, you remember this, Luke is a great guy. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Uh, He is an integral part of Paul's ministry. Uh, Luke has with him here in verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. We, We don't often find them separated. We find Luke and we find Demas mentioned a lot with Luke. We find him at the end of uh, uh, Philemon as well. So the issue is here he is helping out Paul and things are going well. We'll turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is really Paul's last words to the church. This is when he has encouraged his friends to come quickly, make every effort to come before winter, because at winter, the winds change, they will not be able to take the boat to Rome, and he does not think he will live through winter. Okay, he knows his death is coming. And in his last bits here, he is writing to uh, Timothy, who is his, in a sense, his son, spiritually speaking. Um, verse 9, we'll start there first. Paul says, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas deserted Paul. Here in Colossians, we have him mentioned. He sends greetings. And now we see at the end of Paul's life, Demas has hit the road. Now, this isn't like Mark, who didn't want to go in the ministry, didn't want to go forward in the ministry. Demas simply left everything. We can compare him in a sense in, in the parable of the seeds and the parable of the sower to that which sprang up and the thorns came and choked it. And the thorns were the cares of the world, the things of society. And it choked out. Now, he may have looked like a believer. He may have sounded like a believer. But because he did not persevere in the things of faith, he was not really a believer. So I don't want to find ourselves comparing ourselves to Demas. I don't want anybody here to say, well, gee, you know, that Demas guy, he loved the things of the world. Am I that way? Do I love the things of the world more than the things of the gospel? If it came down to it, which would I pick, the things of the world or the things of Christ? We have to be convicted. We have to be sold out to the things of Christ. So where are you? A servant's heart? Perhaps you've lived a sinful life in the past and it has been cleansed and now the Lord's using you in ministry. Maybe that you didn't do too well in your first endeavor or second or third endeavor in ministry, whatever it might be, whether it was Sunday school or, or, or some ministry in the outreach or maybe it was something outside the church and you, you pulled back, and, and, but now you're ready to go forward again. Maybe you find yourself there. We don't want to be Demas. We don't want to fall away. Demas apparently rode Luke's coattails, spiritual coattails, for some time. We need to be able to stand on our own. We need to have our own time in the word, our own time in prayer, and not rely upon anybody else's coattails to take us through spiritually. It has to be you and the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded here that the church is made up of so many different people. Different gifts come from different places. We have different pasts. Some, Lord, you came upon us when we were just children. And we've always known you. Always known of your grace. Others of us, Lord, came later in life. When we had been part of the world for so long. And those chains of sin bound us there. But yet it was when your grace came upon us that we were freed. Free to live the life that you call us to.
Some of us, Lord, maybe got into ministry over our heads and weren't quite ready for it. Maybe we were scared from it. But now that we know you, you're calling us back. Calling us to get our feet wet again. Get involved. Reach out with the gifts that you have given us. Lord, help us to understand where we are, what portions of us lie in maybe several of these individuals, several of these examples. Most importantly, Lord, don't let us be like Demas and simply ride on the coattails of maybe our parents, maybe our spouse, maybe just ride in the coattails of, of the church. Each of us has to be committed to you. Each of us as individuals has to realize our sin, realize that forgiveness comes only through Jesus Christ, and to believe in our hearts, and we must confess with our mouth that he is Lord and Savior. Then we must do the hard work as individuals of growing in grace and knowledge. Lord, come upon us that we might walk in obedience, that we might be your servants, bond slaves of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Our hymn is, is 24. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let's stand as we sing hymn number 24. Mm-hmm. 